So if you have your Bibles, open with me this morning to the book of Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to preach on a passage I've never really preached on before. I'm just doing a, I'm not in a series here, I'm just doing a sermon called Selfless this morning, and I'm going to show you some stuff out of this that I've never seen before, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Anyhow, before we get started here, thanks, do any of the uh, quilters in here, the quilting ministry, any of you guys in here this morning? Thank you guys for what you did yesterday for Uganda. I think they made how many dresses? 145 dresses these ladies made for Uganda. Praise the Lord. I don't know if you all remember the Schweighearts who came here and uh, they're missionaries to Uganda. They run some orphanages, but it was for their ministry. So thank God. Thank God for what you all did. Awesome. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to the book of Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. I'm just going to read this one verse, then I'm going to work back through the passage, okay? Also, we have a 3 p.m. funeral here for Patricia McDonald, who uh, has attended this church for many years, and uh, she went on and she won. She won. COVID doesn't win. The saints win. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Can we say that last phrase together? Do it all to the glory of God. Look at somebody next to you. (laughs) Point in their face. Do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. You know, who does history remember? Who does history remember? You know, history usually doesn't remember the people who were just extravagant, self-absorbed people. I mean, we do study about them in history, but they're not who we admire. Who do we admire in history? We admire those people who were selfless. Those people who gave themselves for a cause greater than their own. Those people who gave their lives for someone else. It's a Christian virtue. You know, Jesus said, no greater love has a man than he would lay down his life for his friends. I thought about these guys in Ukraine, watching them Friday night, you know, the, uh, the mayor of Ukraine uh, cho- chose not to leave the city. He obviously had the money and the power to do it, so a report came out that the U.S. government said, we'll, we'll get you out of there, and he responded and said, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Yeah, he'll go down in history. He'll go down. Uh, also, the uh, mayor of Kiev is a former heavyweight boxing champion, and he's a millionaire. And he could have gotten out of the city, but I saw a picture of him on Twitter sitting behind a machine gun turret. And they said now he's probably a marked man, and they'll, they'll be after after his life. But he'll go down in history. Because they're, they're, they're standing up for something greater than themselves. This is a Christian virtue, folks. I mean, I'm not getting into war and all the implications of war or theology of war, but I'm telling you, giving your life for other people is a Christian virtue. Being selfless. And it's maybe even more difficult to see clearly this because now we live in such a self-absorbed society, you know, where we're inundated with marketing and inundated with the, the world screaming at us to a be all you can be and do all you want to do and you're the man and we're not going to hurt your feelings ever. 
and everyone gets a participation trophy. I can get raw. This is second service, so all the <laughs> filters gone, right? We can just... Jesus said in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you want to follow me, come after me and deny yourself and take up your cross. You know, the famous phrase by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Yeah. So the constant comparison game in the world runs us ragged, you know. It's like we're in this race, and, and social media, I think, has just heightened this. You know, you have kids sitting at home looking at the perfect life of one of their friends. Well, I've got news for you. That's fake. There are many filters being used in the world today <laughs> that can take out all the wrinkles and all the lines and we can present ourselves online as being the most incredible people ever. But you know what? They're just regular folks. I could go off on that. I'm just going to continue my sermon here. All right. So I'm going to talk about some principles today that will help you live a selfless life. Principles that will help you live a selfless life. First thing is do everything you do for the glory of God. If we live for God's glory, we're going to end up okay. We're going to meet the king at the gate and say, Lord, I did everything I, I could for your glory. What little bit I had to play, I played my part for your glory. Can you shout amen? Let's look at this 1 Corinthians 10 and work our way through this because I've never, I've never quite preached on this before and it's interesting. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not, not all things edify. Paul is saying, I, I'm, I have freedom in Christ. I have freedom to do a whole lot of things, but not everything that I would choose to do is going to be good for everyone involved. Okay. Then he comes down the next verse and he says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So this is about others. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Paul is saying when you go into the meat market, you can eat anything you want to. Why? Because God created it all. Eat whatever you want to. The Lord created it. Some of y'all are going to use that as your life verse from now on. <laughs> That's your refrigerator magnet. and Eat whatever is set before you to the glory of God. Hallelujah. No, but really, I mean, he, this is strong words. Did you know he said that? Eat, eat whatever's in the market. Why? Because he knew the source of it was God. God is the source of all this, and it's not a problem. But notice what he says after that. Then he comes down to verse 27. And he says, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner, okay, so, so if a non-Christian invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you asking no question for conscience sake. If you want to go to some person's house who's not a believer and you decide to do that, it's your prerogative, go. And if they set pork barbecue in front of you, Eat it to the glory of God. Yeah, 
Eat. He's making a point here. Eat it to the glory of God. But then he says, verse 28, But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols. Okay. So they, 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 they lay a stake down before you. And they said, but just want you to know first that this came from the idol. This, this was butchered by an idol priest. A pagan priest. Then Paul says, that changes the game. Because now that person's conscience is involved. Now they're having an issue. They wanted you to know because there's, there's an issue here now. And so Paul says, what do you do in that case? He says, do not eat it. Do not eat it. For the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. Conscience? I save not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? Paul said, you could argue and say, what? I'm not changing anything. I'm free and I'm born again and God's allowed me to do what I want to do and I'm not changing for anybody. He said, I could, you could take that attitude. You could say that. And then verse 30, But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? And I could also say, hey, if I pray over this thing, why is anybody going to condemn me? I've prayed over it. It's fine if I do this. Then Paul says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, we've quoted this passage a lot, but we've removed it from the context. What he's saying is this. What matters in this situation is the conscience of the person you're trying to win to the Lord. Then he comes on down to verse 32 and says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. What is doing all for the glory of God? It's doing it so people may be saved in this context. So I'm doing what I'm doing so I may win others to Christ. So if I walk in a house and they have meat that's been bought in the marketplace, butchered by a pagan priest, they know it, they bring it up, then I'll say, you know what, I'm not going to eat of that because obviously it's bothering this person. And if it's an issue of their conscience, I'm not coming in with all my Christian freedoms to wreck their conscience. I'm sensitive to the culture I'm trying to win. Why am I bringing this out? Because in becoming selfless, it means that I am, I am free now. In Jesus, I am free. And it means I am free to surrender any right or authority I have that I might win someone else or serve someone else in a way for the glory of God. And we're not taught that as Americans. We're taught stand up for your rights and you know do, do everything and you tell people what you believe and don't worry about it. You know They just have to deal with it. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. You know, we got all this stuff. But that's not the way we should actually approach life. We have convictions. Other people have convictions. And we should be sensitive to their convictions and be wise so we can win them to the Lord. That's living a life to the glory of God. 
That's living a life to the glory of God. That's becoming a selfless person. That's becoming a selfless person. This is what Christianity is about. We have so much of an Americanized Christianity that we've valued success in in certain ways that I don't know the rest of the world sees that way. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, when I saw a video, uh, one of our brothers showed me a video of the Ukrainian brothers last night and sisters down in a, uh, like in a subway, singing and praises unto God while bombs and planes are going, they're down under singing praises unto God. Then I saw our Ukrainian friends in a square somewhere kneeling in the freezing cold, praying outside for peace and for their nation. That's, that's the church, man. That's the church. We get, we get amped up if the, if the air conditioning's not perfect. Yeah. I mean, I could preach. I'm going to preach on Hans. Can I preach on Hans for a minute? Yeah, we get too comfortable. And it's all about my rights and my preferences. And if y'all don't sing the songs I like, I'm not coming anymore, bless God. Because it's about me. Church is about me. Church is about my preferences. I'm not worried about the lost world. I'm not worried about the glory of God for those dying and going to hell. I want church the way my grandma had church. You know, I didn't grow up in church. I got radically saved at the age of 16. God tore me up one side and down the other and rebuilt me. And I came into church, and I was just hungry for Jesus, and I'm still that way. I want to, I want to do everything I can to win everybody I can and give God all the glory I can before He comes and gets me. That's my, that's my purpose in church. I want to come and do all I can for His glory and give Him all the praise. In the end, I said, Lord, we did the best we could. And I'm not here by my own merit. I'm here by the glory of God. And I'm here because of the cross that gave me the grace and gave me the open door to make it to heaven. But Lord, we weren't worried about our own preferences. We're worried about the kingdom. And hallelujah, if I have to sing a B.B. King song that I sanctified to win somebody to Jesus, I'm going to do it. And I've done it many times here, by the way. Y'all didn't know it, but anyhow. Hallelujah! Yeah, man, come on, do it all for the glory of God because there is a world, whether you believe it or not, dying and going to hell by the thousands, by the minute. And you and I hold the golden ticket. Willy Wonka, come on, we hold the golden ticket. We got the, the, the open door to re- lead people to Jesus and get people in the kingdom of God. I will not be satisfied as long as I live here until all Elizabeth City is saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why not? We shouldn't be satisfied. Well, that's not possible, Hans. You know only a certain percentage will receive the gospel. Blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you a story. Let's go back to the early uh, early 1900s in Wales. So there was a guy named Evan Roberts. He had a passion to see people saved. He came to one of his friends and said, would you agree with me that God would save 100,000 people in Wales? And his friend said, yeah, I'll agree with you. So revival began in the country of Wales, and they saw more than 100,000 people saved. Matter of fact, the historical reports say that they saw so many people saved that the prostitution houses shut down. They saw so many people saved that the bars shut down. They saw so many people saved that they said the police department had nothing to do. 
And so they would come around church to church organized in gospel singing quartets and sing specials. Come on, let's not be satisfied until the day Pasquotank County Sheriff's Department has to show up and say, listen, it's so boring. I've eaten enough donuts and drank coffee till I'm up. Can we just come sing for you guys? Come on, somebody. Can we just sing and join in? Because it's not, there's nothing going on. All the drug addicts got saved. All the pushers got saved. All the pimps got saved. All the alcoholics got saved. Come on, every loser out there got saved in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Yay, God. Do it all for the glory of God. Come on. How many can lift your hand and say, we want this church to be for His glory? Come on, how many can lift your hand and say, I want my life and my family to be for His glory. Woo! Hallelujah! Come on, hallelujah! Hallelujah! We've done church enough man's way, let's do it God's way and give God all the glory. Y'all give me some time, all right? Second thing, you got to live in the now. Let, 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 me, let me preach this a little bit. we got to live in the now. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. This is, this is Paul's way. He's saying, I'm not coming to you with titles. I'm not coming to you bragging because I'm not even worthy to be counted among those guys who walk with Jesus. But I'll tell you one thing I did do. I outworked them all. I jumped in and I worked my fingers to the bone. I got involved in the now. I jumped in and got involved in the now. And I think sometimes we miss selflessness that opportunity, we miss working for the Lord because we're always looking in the future. We're trying to live in the future. Man, once I get this degree, I'm going to do something then. <laughs> once I get good enough, I'm going to work in church. Once I may, a few years from now, it's all going to come. Get out of that and get in the now and do something for the Lord right now. You know, uh, Jackie and I were ordained years ago under a guy named H. Richard Hall. And Brother Hall was this 1940s and 50s and 60s tent preacher, healing evangelist. He called my wife Angel. And, and she called him her father in the Lord. He was a, and he was a bold somebody. A bold somebody. He said when he was young, he would go to camp meeting in Cleveland, Tennessee, and on the way to camp meeting one year, he told his wife, he said, you know the guy preaching tonight? You know what he's going to preach? He's going to preach the same thing he preaches every single year. And that is, revival is just around the corner. It's almost here. Revival is just around the corner. He said, that's what he's going to preach. He said, they showed up to the meeting, and guess what? The guy preached revival. It's just around the corner. So Brother Hall was bold. He said, I walked up to the man afterwards and said, Sir, may I ask you a question? What corner is revival around? Because I'm going to go around it and find it. Come on, revival is now. Kingdom is now. 
Today is the day of salvation. Get involved in the now. Don't wait till 2023. Now is the time to be involved in what God's doing. Now is the time to release your gifts. Now is the time to open up your mouth and let God use you. Now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to get off the couch, turn off Netflix, and get back in the church house. Now is the time to do something for the kingdom. Now is the time to stop being lazy. Now is the time to put your gifts to work and let God do something through you that's going to last for eternity. Come on, I'll shout all by myself if nobody shouts with me. I'll amen myself. I'll go down here and shout myself down. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody shout amen. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, now is the time. Now, live now for the glory of God. Craig Rochelle said three statements that I thought was so profound. He said, maybe the work is the reward. Maybe the reward we're looking for is actually in doing the work itself. Maybe the prize is in the process. And maybe the gratefulness is in the grind. John Maxwell said years ago, Success is not a destination. Success is a journey. Ask successful people, you know. It's about, we built this thing, man. We came in here. I mean, we tell stories like this, right? I remember uh, first Harvest Fest we ever had. My wife came to me and she said, what are y'all, y'all doing something for Harvest Fest? We said, yeah. What are you doing? We're, we're going back here in the, uh, we're going back, way, way back on the property and do some bobbing for apples or whatever we do. Well, why are you doing it back there? I don't know. <laughs> why don't you have it in the front yard? I don't know. Are you having any blow-ups? No. Why don't you have them blow-ups? We said, Jackie, why don't you lead it? Why don't you lead this thing? She took it. We planned for 200 people. Jackie's like, no, we're going to have more than that. Put out blow-ups. Had lights going on, like somebody said they went by and they thought it was a state fair in Raleigh. <laughs> End of the night, Brother Randy Reeder gave his heart to Jesus. Alan texted me, Alan Meads texted me, they were over in Family Life Center, led Randy Reeder to the Lord. He's now the head of our security team here. At the end of the night, we had 1,000 people that showed up. 1,000 people showed up. One, I won't tell it to this crowd. 1,000 people showed up. She got involved, man. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's make it happen now. It grew to over 5,000 in the upcoming years. But we started out right there. And you know what happened then? It set something afire. I remember Christina Grandstaff coming up to me after that in her beautiful Georgian accent. And she said, Pastor Hans, we can do anything. We can do anything. Get, look at your neighbor and say, get involved now. Now. Not tomorrow. Now's the time. Last thing. In, 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 the, in the words of that saintly prophet, Bob Dylan, you have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan actually had a Christian experience. He wrote a couple gospel albums. My wife loved them. And in one of them, he had this song, you got to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody.
And uh, the point of the <laughs> the point of the song was everybody's serving somebody. You're gonna serve somebody. We might as well serve the right body. Everybody's serving somebody. Serve, servanthood, that's where it's at. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he went, to the, he went to the last supper with his disciples. They're eating the Passover feast together. He knew his hour had come. He knew the cross was before him. He knew he was getting ready to give his life. He knew it was basically the end. And what did he do? The Bible says after supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded it around himself and he poured water into a basin and he began washing the feet of his disciples. He showed them what it was to be a servant. He started washing the feet of the disciples. And y'all know Peter. Peter was that going to speak my mind no matter what anybody thinks. Peter stood up and said, Lord, you're washing my feet? Jesus said, what I'm doing right now, you don't understand, but you will know after this. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And what was happening here was Jesus was basically saying, unless you let me bear your dishonor and your uncleanness, you can have no part with me. You're going to understand this later, but this is the upside-down kingdom. It's not that we lord things over people, but Christian people serve people. We don't have a top-down leadership paradigm. We have a bottom-up paradigm. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Why does Ike and, and Mike and these guys go into uh, facilities around these counties and just show up and offer free donuts and prayer? Because it's coming in with an open, vulnerable heart saying we're here not making any demands. We're here offering ourselves as servants. And you know what happens? It opens the hearts and minds of people when you walk with that kind of humility. And you walk in saying, we are here to serve this community. Hallelujah. Last year I took a lot of hits because we hosted a, 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 a funeral here uh, in this area for a tragic thing that happened. And I understand all the arguments. We heard them. Had people leave the church because of it. But my heart was to be vulnerable and say, I'm going to err on love's side. And I'm here to see this community, because we're going to be in this community once these protesters go back. We're going to be here getting along, and we have a multicultural church that I'm going to fight for. And I'm going to walk in a big dose of grace in this life. And if I err, I'm going to err on the side of love and vulnerability to the community. Come on, somebody. Maybe y'all don't understand that, but I pray you get it after a while. Because that's serving somebody. When you serve someone, sometimes you don't always agree with everything they're saying. But nonetheless, you know what you believe, but you come in and you open your heart and you say, I'm going to serve. This is an upside-down kingdom. I'm serving. I don't know if Ken McGregor's in the house today, but he, he is, Ken is in the back. Ken is he's one of my heroes. Because Ken has, is struggling with uh, multiple sclerosis, but we believe God's going to heal him 110%. Yeah. 
And we're praying for that. I won't see it happen. But nonetheless, he's, he's coming to church kind of on a motorized uh, wheelchair kind of thing. And so he signed up to help with the parking duties in our church. So I think it was the, fir- the first Sunday I ever saw him do it, it was pouring the rain. And this man showed up in a raincoat on that motorized wheelchair. And went out and started helping people get on this parking lot. And I saw him and I said, there's my hero right there. That's it. That's it. I think of Don Purball in our congregation. Don's a, a, he's a tough hombre. He spent many years as a master chief in submarines. He told me chasing Russians all over the world. And he used to command hundreds of men, and he can command some people. <laughs> he comes at about 7.20 a.m. every morning and stands at that door by the cafe so he can open the door for the worship team that gets here at 7.30. He and his wife Sam come just to open the door so the worship team can. Now, he keeps that door locked because we told him, no, the church isn't officially open until like 8 or something. I don't even know what time the church opens. That's good. (laughs) Whatever time it is. So if you try to come and you're not on that worship team, guess what? I've seen him send people back to the car. (laughs) Because that man's following the rules. And he's my hero. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. I met with a a couple the other night that said, they said they'd been in our church nine years. And the, and the, the mother told me eight of those years I've served in the nursery. And I guess I didn't realize that. And I sat there and I thought, you're my hero. If you serve eight years in the nursery, you deserve a vacation to the Bahamas and a Starbucks gift card and a massage somewhere. I mean, you deserve. Come on. And some of y'all been do- some of y'all working in children's ministry, youth ministry, some of y'all working in the middle school ministry. You deserve a crown in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, these are my heroes. People who said, I'm gonna serve. My friends Mike and Rosie Wilson are on the front row. They're from Washington, D.C. Can you all wave at them? They're, they're amazing people. Mike was one of my board members at our church in D.C. He retired a colonel out of the Army from the Pentagon. Started his career in Vietnam and ended in Afghanistan, really. It was amazing what Mike accomplished in his life. And Rosie's from Bolivia. She's such a sweet spirit, just a wonderful. They do overseas mission work. They work in their church. But anyhow, when Mike first came to me, we were meeting in an elementary school in Herndon, Virginia, planning a church. We met in an elementary school cafeteria. It's difficult to preach the gospel and be serious when you've got those milk posters behind you with the milk mustache over these basketball stars. That, that was kind of what we had to deal with. And we worked and we worked and we worked diligently. We would bring all of our children's equipment, all of the greeting equipment, all of the music equipment. We'd bring in a trailer, unload it, set it up, pack it back in, take off. Four years we did this before we had a permanent facility. So Mike comes in, been in command over hundreds of men, worked in the Illinois National Guard, went to the headquarters, I mean, on and on and on. He came in and he came up to me one day and he said, Pastor, I know what my job is. I said, okay. He said, I'm the captain over these chairs. I'm going to set these chairs up and they're going to be right. And every Sunday, never worried about the chairs again. Because they had him, Mike had it right. And he didn't have to do that. He could have come in and said, hey, I'm leading hundreds of men. Why don't y'all do something here? And get no, he got busy serving at that level. That's the beauty of the church. 
It's the beauty of the church is that we serve where we are and then God blesses. Maybe you just need to go serve someone this week. Maybe a win for you this week is just having coffee with somebody and listening to them and whatever they're going through. Maybe your win this week is just calling somebody up and praying for somebody or texting somebody saying, hey man, are you doing okay? Maybe your win this week is signing up to serve with Ken out in the parking lot. Ken, I'm sorry, I'm a Ken, I'm a mountain guy, so I'm learning Ken and Ken, Ken. <laughs> Down here it's Ken. <laughs> sorry, that's another mind speaking over here. Hooked on phonics. We're getting that next on Wednesday nights. I'm sorry. Turn with me to Ephesians 4. I got one more scripture and we're going to close. <laughs> I got a story about that, but I'm not going to tell it. That's it. Ephesians 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Then Paul says in verse 11, and Jesus, he himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So he set in the kingdom certain gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We call this the five-fold ministry because there's five of them. And so God's given some gifts like that to the church. But what are these guys and gals supposed to be doing? What's these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? What are they supposed to be doing? Well, the next verse says, For the equipping of the saints. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers... Their job is to equip the saints. Who are the saints? St. Patricia? St. Leonard? St. Fred? Come on. According to the book of Corinthians, that term in the the original language, saint and sanctified, have the same root system. So the sanctified ones are the saints in the church. The church didn't have to declare you that. Jesus declares you that. So let me see how many saints we have in here now. Come on. There's some saints in this church. We are the church of the, of the sanctified. So the five-fold ministry's job is to equip the saints. So pastors and teachers and evangelists, what do we do? Use what little giftings we have to be able to teach, coach, encourage, bless, pray for, empower The saints. What do the saints do? For the work of the ministry. Equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Who does the ministry? Come on. Who does the ministry? The saints do the ministry. Maybe you've never heard it this way. Because in America, you know, we get in church tradition and we hire the ministry out. I want to hire a guy who prays so I don't have to pray. Or I'm going to hire a guy who studies the Bible so I don't have to study the Bible. I want to hire a guy that does all the ministry so I don't have to do the ministry. But actually, we all do the ministry. I mean, if you want to look at that term minister, I think we can use it contextually here to say all of us born-again saints are ministers. 
Are you hearing me on the back row? Come on, let me see your hands. You're a minister in here. You guys are, y'all not getting this. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to do this whole thing over again. I'm going to have to start all over from bring the whiteboard out, okay? Who are saints in this room? Who does the work of ministry? Thank you. And then what happens? What's next in the verse? Y'all read it. What happens next? For the edifying of the body of Christ. What happens when the saints do ministry? The body is built up. The church is built up. I've got one verse that can teach all the church growth we need to know. On down, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Did you know you're a joint? According to the effective working by which every part, you know you're a part, does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's run through this one more time. The fivefold ministry equips, empowers, releases, prays for, blesses. The church people do the ministry. So as each person gets to working and each joint gets to moving and each part gets to doing its, its job, the body grows naturally. Yes, the body grows naturally as each person does what God has called you to do. Okay, let me explain it to you this way. I have one note to play. I have one note to play. That's what I do. I got one note. So like if I'm a piano player, I can come and I hit one note. Ding, 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 ding. Years ago, I knew a guy who said he went to a famous classical pianist, a concert with a famous famous classical pianist and this guy came out and he's playing all these virtuoso licks and all this great classical music. Then he says, may I have a volunteer from the audience? And this young boy comes up. And he sets the little boy down and he says, son, here's what I want you to do. When I say so, you play this one note. And he leaned over the boy and said, now play it. And the boy played it and he came and filled in the rest. And it was a beautiful composition. Why am I saying that? You and I, come on, hold up one finger. All of us have a note to play. Come on, all of us have a note to play. And when all these notes get to playing together, we surround each other and it becomes a beautiful symphony of sound. Don't think you're insignificant because this thing doesn't work without you. You've got to use what God has given you. If you don't use it, it'll go into atrophy. I had a friend years ago studying physical therapy, and I'll never forget, he told me, he said, did you know the body starts to go into atrophy just during a night's sleep? I mean, technically. I don't know if that's true. Somebody's going to prove me wrong on that, I know. But anyhow. But he says, you wake up in the morning, and it kind of revives everything. So if you lay, like, for weeks or months, this is an issue in hospitals. They have to come and turn you and get you moving so you don't go into atrophy. What about the gifts in your life? What about the gifts in your life? If you're not using those, they'll just go into atrophy in your life. 
get that thing moving, man. And I'm not just preaching so we can get volunteers, though we would love that. But I'm preaching so you get involved in your family, get involved in your community, get involved in the workplace, wherever, wherever God, in your world, get involved. Use what God's given you to, to do. Play that one note. Become a selfless person. And you're going to see your life. I mean, you're going to be happier. You're going to be more satisfied. You're going to, it's going to be amazing. You know who people like simplify their lives and downsize and they're like happy as larks after that? You know, I think it's, it's like, this is, and I'm for being blessed and all that, no problem. But I'm just telling you, sometimes you just need to say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let go. And let God do through me what he needs to do through me. I could preach this all night long. I'm not going to. Don't get scared. But I'm, y'all stand with me. I, you got something to do. Look at your neighbor and say, you got something to do. There's something for you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Kyle Harris, he's our campus pastor down in Edenton. Kyle came to me several years ago. He said, Pastor, could I be an armor bearer for you? And I'm like, dude, I don't even like that word. But I understand, and if you want to help me, it's fine. But just know I do my own thing. He said, no problem. I'll just follow you around. Okay. So he'd say, I'll just, I'll just, help, you with, I'll just help you with your Bible and make sure your mic has batteries in it. If you need me to run errands for you, I'll run them. I was like, wow, man, this is weird. But you can help me. And then after a while, I'm like, where's Kyle? I don't even know what, what's going on right now. And, and, it, and it really became kind of dependent on him. And it was, it was a cool thing. And then when we planted the church in Eatonton, we thought we need some leaders that, that know what we do here have kind of been through the rigmarole here that we could trust to go take that campus. Jackie and I started talking, and we're like, it's Kyle and Tiffany. She helped write the leadership manuals here. She's helped develop most of this stuff. Kyle can tell people no, which is a gift. I don't have it. Learning it. And so, and then Kyle said, but I'm raising up somebody. I was like, okay, enter Matt Cromus, a fuel truck driver who has a brilliant mind. And so Matt started helping. And now we're, you see Matt here, he's not here today, he's preaching today. He started studying the school of ministry. We're sending him out about every other week to preach in Perquimans County at, at one of our IPHC churches. And he's just being, God just been blessing him. I never saw this several years. I never saw any. I didn't plan. We didn't plan any of that. But just get active where you're at, and God will start doing stuff. Just get active where you are, and God will start doing stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us online, and I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven, Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. 
Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment and was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today. Eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now, me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, for saving me, and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back. Get in. Get in the Word. Get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.